Today we're going to continue a series that uh, is kind of like a who is Hope Fellowship mindset. And uh, what we've been doing for the last couple months is uh, at the very beginning of uh, the teaching time, I'm, I'm sharing a thing called things that make me ponder, um, things that make me pause and ponder. And some, they're just memes that come up or um, comments that somebody makes that kind of throws me for a pause. Whoa, that made me think, or yeah, I really like that, or I don't know, I got to really think about that one. It's, I've never heard it phrased like that before. And so I really get to do two sermons in one, where I get to do the pot shots of quick, short truth bites, and then get in, continue my stuff. But this has become really neat for me personally, and um, two weeks ago I started posting all of them online in one post. So if you want to see these again, uh, sometime today I'll post them all in one posting and you can just pick the pictures you like and reshare if you like them, if it hits your heart. Because not every one of them is going to hit you. Some of them may be way above your head, like, oh, what? Others you're going to groan at because they're funny. And the other ones are just like, huh, I really want to reread that slower. So here's what hit me this week. Ash Wednesday, because it was, I'm going to go back. Because it was Ash Wednesday on Wednesday, um, I've, I've learned an awful lot more about Ash Wednesday uh, first of all, when we arrived here at St. James, because Pastor Hans introduced my and expanded my understanding of what Ash Wednesday was really about. And uh, my knee-jerk reaction to, oh, it's just a ritual, um, got softened big time. And so this past year in long-term care, I was asked uh, to do something in long-term care for Ash Wednesday. And I thought, well, it's not that big of a deal, is it? Oh, my goodness, was it? Huge deal, huge deal. And uh, uh, it, it's the misconceptions that can throw us off. So I got a couple thoughts on Ash Wednesday I want to share with you that I think can be meaningful. I actually had the opportunity to put ashes on people's foreheads. Never done that before. It was very meaningful. I, one person even teared up in their wheelchair. They couldn't say anything. All they could give me was the yes with their eyes. Oh my goodness. Uh, it, it just, the, the connection to it you know, there was meaning attached, and I just, it just made my day. So, uh, oh, by the way, the ashes, if you don't know this, I learned this, I thought it was really cool. Um, the previous year's Palm Sunday branches, or those palm crosses, by the way, if you know anybody, anybody that makes those, I could use a bunch for the long-term care home, um, but those, those crosses are then burned in a bowl, and those become the ashes for next year's Ash Wednesday which is really cool. I love the connection with that. So that's in all traditions. So it's not just Catholic, it's not Lutheran, it's, it's across the board. All right, Ash Wednesday. This is from Rachel Held Evans. It strikes me today that the liturgy of Ash Wednesday teaches something that nearly everyone can agree on. Whether you are part of a church or not, whether you believe today or you doubt, whether you are a Christian or an atheist, or an agnostic, or a so-called nun, whose faith experience far transcend the limits of that label, you know this truth deep in your bones. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Death is a part of life. My prayer for you this season is that you make time to celebrate that reality, and to grieve that reality, and that you will know you are not alone. But that was really beautifully written. And then uh, Pope Francis 
Because we talk about Lent, what you're going to give up. And nobody would believe me when I said I'm going to give up vegetables. But anyway, this came up and I thought, this is really good. Do you want to fast this Lent? In the words from Pope Francis, fast from hurting words and say kind words. Fast from sadness and be filled with gratitude. Fast from anger and be filled with patience. Fast from pessimism and be filled with hope. Fast from worries and have trust in God. Fast from complaints. Contemplate simplicity. Fast from pressures and be prayerful. Fast from bitterness and fill your hearts with joy. Fast from selfishness and be compassionate. Fast from grudges and be reconciled. Fast from words and be silent and listen. I thought that was quite profound. Christ is the substance, the underlying reality of all things. Who is in all things and in whom all things have their being and hold together. Does anybody know what, what book of the Bible that comes from? Because it's slightly paraphrased, but it's good. Colossians. Yeah, Colossians. This is, again, this is a, when you slowly read that and go, wait a minute. This whole contemplation of things and slowing down and being silent, this is a great thing to contemplate and meditate on. This is from Jeff Doles. Meditation and prayer are not rituals or duties to be performed. Let me say that again. Meditation and prayer are not rituals or duties to be performed. They are the gifts that help us organize our conscious state to the spiritual reality of the presence of God. Yeah, that was, yeah. Richard Rohr writes, Life is not a matter of creating a special name for ourselves, but of uncovering the name we always had. <laughs> Love that. One of the points I'm hoping to get to today is talking about our identity in Christ, knowing who you are in Christ, who you've always been. I thought, so that really clicked in. And Lazar, he, um, he's from British Columbia. He's uh, one of... Um, uh, Brad Jurzak's mentors says this, how do we experience the love of God? Because we talk about God being love, and we're going to today. But how do we experience the love of God? First of all, we need to get it out of our heads that God is out to get us. Huh. You can't open your heart to the love of God if you think he hates you and is going to harm you. This was one of the big unlearnings I had to do almost 20 years ago. Not that I thought God hated me, but I thought he'd jump back and forth between liking and not liking me. You know, that my behavior totally changed God's heart towards me. How many grew up with that or have believed that? Uh, at some point, you at least understand what I'm, what I'm talking about. If you really think God is that ticked off or that fragile, and if you have to tiptoe around God, or if you have to grovel and say all kinds of nice things to God, oh, you're really wonderful. Now, can I have this? Who does that? Oh, children. (laughs) 
teenagers, they do that because they want something. Parents always say, what do you want? What's the real reason for you saying all these nice things? And why are you helping suddenly? Anyway, this whole idea of God is not out to get us is a really big truth we've been unlearning here for the last, well, this is my 20th year here. The whole time I've been here, we've been discussing this theme, using different language all the time. I just love that. By the way, he's an Orthodox priest. Love. Oh, wait, look who it's from. Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all parenting, all relationships, love or lack of it. Christians are not on different levels. Our maturity is different, but our identity is exactly the same. Holy, blameless, perfectly cleansed forever. How many times do we compare with one another? Or we go to this special event Guest speaker comes and, oh, I want to be like that speaker. Oh, I want, to, I want to learn from that. Oh, and then another one comes, oh, I want to learn that. And we, we always see somebody else, oh, that person in our church is so spiritual. I wish I could be like them, but I'll never be like them. And even worse, to think of that as your pastor and put your pastor on that kind of a level, I know it doesn't happen here. <laughs> but the point is to put somebody else above and say they're more spiritual? No. Or they're a different level? No, we're equal, all of us. That's why we co-participate as a church body. I just thought that was really, really good. You can read those verses later because you can look them up later. Okay, a church with hope. Let's get into a small devotional. And instead of uh, Henry Nouwen that I usually use, uh, I have my friend uh, Bill Thrasher. He wrote two short things, and they're good. So if you don't like the sermon, you'll at least... Hopefully you like the memes and you like this devotional. So, you know, you get a menu of three things. <laughs> I love it. Okay, how to see the Father. And this ties in with what I'm hoping to talk about. The shocking revelation that Jesus commands of his followers is that we are no longer to see his Father through the eyes of, listen to this, a nomadic tribe of hyper-religious law. What could that be? covenant, the old Jewish system, but only see a loving Abba through the recorded actions and life of a penniless carpenter who loved and included the most unexpected of people with hyper-abounding grace. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. We're going to cover that verse later. But I thought it was really cool. Instead of living out of a hyper uh, 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 religious law, now we live out of a hyper grace, <laughs> which is really cool. This next thought's on unforgiveness. This is pretty powerful. Unforgiveness is the counting on or placing faith in some grand cosmic ledger where all the bargaining chips of rights and wrongs are finally measured out on blind scales to an end result of net neutrality, leaving karma and recompense as the mechanics and measures 
of everlasting justice. Forgiveness is the scandalous belief that the divine creator has raided our temples of personal sacrifice, flipped over and destroyed every accounting system of rights and wrongs man has ever known or made, wiping every slate clean, leaving only unseen hope in an inconceivable goodness and grace as the only remaining way of divine eternal justice. Oh, that was heavy. You probably have to read that slower again later. It's just pointing to a bigger and better God than what we've been told. And that's important. A church with hope. Part of the motivation for what I'm covering now is some people have asked about what is Hope Fellowship, what about membership. I thought, let's, let's get into the basics and share with everybody kind of where we're at and what we believe and so on. And so far we've covered this kind of stuff. We've covered our history, you gotta go back and watch. Um, we covered our vision, what's our vision for the church, our mission, and it's not as scary and intellectual as you might think, because, oh, that's a pretty big statement. No, it's really real, it really is. Um, we talked about our values, that was last week, and we talked about, oh, and we talked about what inspires us, some, some concepts that keep us motivated. We're quite a relaxed church, we're not the traditional, and that's sometimes a strength. Our logo we talked about, which is this. Our logo is kind of like our vision. We have three things in our logo. We have a seed, and we have a sapling, and we have the whole tree. So the stages of maturing, so we're on, even though we're not on different levels, we're at different places of maturity in our understandings. And that's okay. But that's, that's just a constant reminder that, hey, look, we're all growing in grace. None of us have arrived. There is no arrival. So that we talked a little bit about last week. But this part's kind of a little more fun for me. The unique journey of unlearning and discovery. Because we have been unlearning. I've been a minister for 33 years. Like, seriously, what was I thinking? But the, the whole thing is, I've changed, and I'm still changing. I'm not done changing. I've met ministers who have been ministers longer than me, or even as long as me. Man, they haven't changed at all. That scares me. It really does. It really scares me. But I wanted to share what are some of the theological shifts and changes that we've seen here at Hope Fellowship. What has impacted us? What, has been, what are some of the highlights and the exciting ones that make Hope Fellowship a little bit distinct? Not trying to be better than any other church because each church has their own strengths. Each one has weaknesses. We're not perfect at all. But one of the very biggest things, and this, this has got to be number one, and we're not done learning this one, is our view of God and a better understanding of how he views us or how the Trinity views us. And how does that come out in, in what we learn and teach? Well, first we know the character of the Father by looking at the Son. We kind of saw that in one of the um, devotionals there. And then we look at God is love. They may seem simple or simplistic, but they're not. These are foundational, and you may not even know it's foundational, but when you dig into these verses, which we're going to do right now, you're going to see something you may not have realized. Some of you have realized it already, but to be reminded of it is really helpful because we forget. And I have learned recently that <clears throat> we forget when we usually intention or when we have difficulty with somebody. 
it's true. It's true. It's like, dang, I teach grace. How can I be gracious to this person I can't stand right now? I'm really upset with. This is really hard. I'm just telling you. Anybody else understand that? Holy smokes. It's not easy. But grace is there softening us. And there are people who've been ministers longer than me who I have witnessed a change. They have grown in their grace they become gentler, softer, less judgmental. They become more kind and, and don't give their opinions as much instead of trying to correct everybody's opinions because, oh, but I'm the pastor. I'm, my job is to correct and teach and guide. No, it's not. Sit down and shut up. There's no authority there. We are humans first, one to another. My job is not to correct you. Never was. I used to think that. I was told in Bible college that pastoral role is the leadership in the church, and they have say. They get to tell you what to do. And oh my goodness, if you buy into that, you're in a really tough church. You are. I don't, know if anybody, I don't want to put this question out there because somebody may go, what do you mean? Because you can overthink what I think because I overthink. But who is to be your teacher in all honesty? Who's the only one? That's to be your teacher and my teacher. The Holy Spirit. Not a person. No one. So, if somebody comes along with a religious gavel, tries to control you and tell you how you should behave, all because they think they have authority, run. That's my personal opinion. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the membership, but <laughs> so meh. <laughs> there we go. Oh my goodness. Hey, why are all the hilarious buttons going up? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, let's take a look at some of these verses because I want to show you, just so you know, it's not me just saying these things. But I, this translation called the First Nations Version, if you have not seen it, Go look it up and buy it. Get it off Amazon. It is a phenomenal translation that will soften your concept of who God is and even how the scriptures are written. Honestly, I love, love, love this translation. And I switch between a whole bunch because I think you need to. Not each one has it perfect, but man, it's good. So here, friends of horses, Philip. Don't you love that indigenous name? Boy, at least it's not a horse's, anyway, okay. Friends of horses. Creator sets free, Jesus said. How long have you walked with me? And still you do not know me. How can you say, show us the Father? The ones who have seen me have seen the Father. Do you not believe that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Whew. Let's read it from another translation. Nope, we're not. We're going to just stick with that one. Sorry. But this is, this is profound because Philip's been saying, hey, he's having a really good conversation with Jesus. So show us the Father then. He's like, show us the one. Ooh. Because Jesus came to reveal the Father, right? And, and Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're the same. 
How many times have we been misled that God's angry, but Jesus is good, good cop, bad cop. That has been sold in religion for hundreds of years, thousands of years, but it's just not so. Yeah, but the Bible says, well, hang on. When you pull out the Bible says, or the Bible plainly says, now we're getting to another topic of, okay, let's understand the scriptures and the value of scriptures and when it was written and to whom it was written and so on. Jesus trumps it. Jesus is the source of truth, not the scriptures. The scriptures are to reveal Jesus. John 10.30 says, the Father and I are one. They're the same. The message translation says, I and the Father are one heart and mind. God is just like Jesus. Jesus is just like God. They are of the same essence, the same attitude, the same love. Yeah, but what about that angry God? Well, I've, I've covered that sermon before, but we're gonna, we'll get to it in the future. But there is an answer, and it's more gracious than what you've been told. John 6.46 says, First Nations Version, the only one who has seen the Father is the one sent from the great spirit. This one has clearly seen the Father. Speaking of himself, I've seen the Father. I'm the only one who's seen the Father. The NRSVA says, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. We're talking about credibility. If you ever show up at an accident scene and uh, let's say you have an accident, a police officer comes and there's been a person standing at that corner the whole time who saw the entire thing. When the police officer interviews the one driver, that driver will have a perspective. Well, the light was definitely green. And the other driver will say, nope, they had a red. Like, so you got, which one? But then you have a witness who was there also who didn't have any skin in the game of whose fault it was. says, this particular person ran a red light. The witness, the one who has seen. Or you even go to the manufacturer. If you have a, a Samsung TV, let's say, and something breaks on it, who do, you go, who do you go to for repair? Well, people jokingly say, nobody, just buy a new one now. But anyway, you go to the repair people who understand that brand and they look up that model and known issues and sometimes a, a firmware update fixes stuff. But the manufacturer, Jesus is the witness from the Father. No one has seen the Father. Do you hear what's not being said and what's being screamed? We have an entire Old Testament written about people who say they have seen God. Moses and different people that say they saw or heard from whatever. Jesus is correcting them. He is correcting the entire Old Testament so they didn't have it right. None of them had the correct perspective. Not a single one. But I know the Father because I'm one with the Father. I'm giving you the final update. That's pretty radical. Can you imagine what it would sound like to a first century Jew? Who had, like, you've been hearing about this for a while, but this is the first time they're hearing it. You go, what? Show me on Wikipedia where it's true. You're like, they didn't have that. They didn't. <laughs> It wasn't like that. 
John 1, 8, 18 says, in the First Nations translation, no one has ever seen the great spirit, but the one son who is himself the great spirit and closest to the father's heart has shown us what he is like. This is a pretty radical declaration. Jesus is the revealer of the Father. Don't trust any other message. The Passion Translation says it like this. No one has ever gazed upon the fullness of God's splendor except the uniquely beloved Son who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Is this good news or good news? This is really good news. If you're uncomfortable with some of this, it's not me that's making you uncomfortable. It's faulty concepts of God that are making you uncomfortable. Not me. If you have an idea, it's a wait a minute, but, but, but God's like this. Okay, we're not talking about checking your brains at the door and don't use it, which some places do. Not like at schools and theaters, churches, everywhere. They come and be indoctrinated. That's not what we're doing here. Engage your mind in this. Ask the questions. But sometimes you need to pause because we run to our, our built-up cubbyholes of beliefs in our head. Okay, men have cubbyholes, women have wires, I know. But we have our cubbyholes of beliefs. <laughs> and as soon as something comes up, you go, yeah, I've got my box for that. And no, it doesn't match. So no, I can't change that. I'm begging you, pause the box for a minute and at least realize there might be another spot or another box that's not been made aware of to you. A better one, you may actually have to pull that one out completely and refill. Or update. Because we keep growing and our lens keeps finding a better, more hope-filled perspective of who God is and how to read the scriptures. I love this. John 1, 8 18 from the New Living Translation says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. NRSVA says, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only son who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Somebody may say, well, what about this verse and that verse and this verse and what about these verses? Because we do that in the church, right? We, we, we listen to give a quick answer. We don't listen to hear what's being said. We sometimes listen just so we can react and respond when instead maybe all those reactions and answers we have in our heads, the prescribed responses, those need to be jailed, held captive, interviewed, are they given permission to roam your brain freely? Or do they stay in jail or eventually get kicked out? You've got to take every thought captive. And if you've not taken this stuff captive, I've heard a lot of the other verses of what about this and this and that. But have we stopped to pause on some of these? I'm not saying don't. I'm saying if you haven't yet, then why haven't you? What? Have you even considered how deep this foundation would change your entire lens of the scriptures and of Jesus? This changes everything. This takes the control out of the hands of mankind and puts it into the submitting heart of Christ who submits to us, which is the exact opposite of our system of religion. Religion says submit to me so you can be right and I'll judge your actions and tell you if you're right or wrong. That's what religion does. 
the system. Jesus says, I've submitted to you because I'm in you already and I want to show you how much I love you, how much I accept you, how I've already forgiven you, but you've got so much hurt and and trauma in your life. This is hard for you to do, so I'm going to be here. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be gentle through every stage of all this undoing and that one part you had wrong about my God, no problem. It's, It's wrong, but we'll get to that eventually. Trust me, I'll be your guide in this journey of unlearning and discovering a better love than you've ever been told about. For God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 9. This is talking about what God is love. In Sunday school, growing up, and in Bible college, we talk about God and we have this book called Systematic Theology, which you better agree with the book or you can't graduate. <laughs> That's kind of how it worked. And each Bible college has their own book. <laughs> and they don't match always. <laughs> it's so funny. I can laugh at it now, but oh my goodness. But systematic theology has a section in there on who God is. And a lot of the textbooks, when they talk about the essence of God, they have a list of attributes. And love is an attribute. They may quote this verse, but they list it as an attribute or an app. How many apps do we add into our phones? But it is not the phone. It's an app on the phone. That's the same attitude people have about love. God is love. Love is not an app or an attribute. It is the essence of God. I believe there are three major is's in Scripture that God is. And we're not talking about justice. God is just and all that. That's not an... God is love, and any justice comes from true love, what real agape is, okay? God is love, light, and life. Those are the three that I've seen that are blunt. Take that, and now go read the rest of Scripture. Oh, well, that makes me read this other same verse I've known my entire life differently. Yeah, exactly. Welcome to growth. As soon as we have a dogmatic, this is what it means and says, you've just said this is where I stopped learning. That can be hard to admit for some people. (laughs) It's true. Takes one to know one, and I'm just being transparent because I've had the attitudes unknowingly, sometimes knowingly thinking I'm right, and then the Holy Spirit says, (laughs) you're not right. (laughs) Ah. It sucks. 1 John 4, New Living Translation. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. That's a nice Valentine's thing, isn't that? Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love, listen, does not know God. People have connected something up here incorrectly down here. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. People have made the implication that then they're not a child of God. That's a mistake, because it does not say it, never has, never will. Okay? If you never thought of that, I'm letting it out of the bag. This is a big one. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Remember, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit came 
as one, as a trinity, and listen, submitted to the cross. Paul Young was the first person who taught me that the trinity submits. That's bizarre. I thought we're supposed to submit to the trinity. Yes, but not as an obligation, but out of love, because now you trust love. You believe you're loved. How can you submit when you don't trust you're being loved by God? Maybe you think God's angry. You're not going to submit to that because you're not going to subject yourself to more abuse. But when you love and know you're loved, it's mutual. This is natural. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Verse 16, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. That's his DNA. And if it's God's DNA and if Christ was in Jesus, sorry, Christ was in God and God was in Christ and the Holy Spirit, they're all interconnected as one and we're in Christ, guess what? This is our DNA too. Even if you don't feel like it. Even if you have wounds so deep It's still your DNA. Love this from the First Nations translation. My much loved friends, love each other. For love comes from the great spirit. All who love have been born of him and know him. Those who do not love do not know him. For the great spirit is love. Creator showed his love for us by sending the only son who fully represents him. I love that, into this world. Isn't that cool line? Fully represents him. So that we could live through him. This is love. Not that we've loved creator, but that he loved us and proved his love by sending his son to take on himself the burden of our broken ways. We have come to know and trust the love creator has for us. The great spirit is love and remains in those who love and keep on loving and they remain in him. It's not an app. It's not an attribute. It's his essence. Your essence is made of love. Anytime you express that love, you're representing Christ in you. When you're not loving, you're not representing the Christ in you. But the love's still there. Just may not be visible to you or felt by you. That's subjective. But objectively, it's there. It's factual. We're not going to have time for this one. Well, yeah. Okay, one more. Are you hearing God is love? This is a key foundation here at Hope Fellowship. And for me. And wait till I actually preach on it. Pretty cool. Another unique thing, and I have 10 things, by the way. Um, I'm doing pretty good, aren't I? Number two. (laughs) If you know me now, this is how I roll now. We have a new nature, thanks to Christ. uh, uh, Christ dying on the cross and raising us to new life. Our identity is the key. The number one thing we've been learning since I've arrived, for me, because I'm still learning, is my identity in Christ. Who am I in Christ? Who are you in Christ? Do you even know you're in Christ? When you wake up to the reality that you are in Christ, boy, your response is beautiful. But not everybody knows they're in Christ. They think they're separated, which is another lie that's, that 
the deceiver has brought to the system of religion, that we're separated from God. You're not. Who said that? In your mind you are. No, but not in reality. Identity is the key. You have been made a new creation. You are fused as one with Christ. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life. When was it? By the way, the word enemies, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's one way. It can be two way. Two people can be enemies. But it's a one-sided direction first. So if Dave and I get into a fight because his football team sucks and mine's better, you know, uh, he may consider me an enemy. But I still love him because I know my team's better. It's easy. Right. <laughs> so I'm just picking on him now. <laughs> but the point is, it's one way. And God sent Jesus to reconcile, to take away that thing that was hindering relationship and change the enemy status. Enemy was never on God's end. Never was. <laughs> and when did it happen? While we were still blind. This was done without your permission. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That's a lot of stuff in there. In him we have the redemption. It's all in Christ. Galatians 2, 20, one of my favorites. I think this is the last verse we'll look at. Double check. Yep. Galatians 2.20, Passion Translation. If you've read this in the NIV or King James, or sorry, not King James, um, most other translations, they word it just slightly different. I'll show you what the, this is done correctly, by the way, and you'll love the change. It says, my old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine, for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered, here it is, by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Most translations will say uh, we live by, the, by faith in the Son of God. Well, if you read it that way, then guess who the source of your faith is? You. I live by faith in God. There's a sense of it's up to me if it's going to be. But the original languages say it like this. We live by the faith of the Son of God. The Young's literal translation is I live by Son of God faith. It's not yours. It's a gift. You don't need more faith. Who told you that? Some religious person, I guarantee it. You don't need more faith. You have all the faith you possibly could need in the person of Christ in you. And how that's believed and lived out, that's your journey. You don't compare with somebody else. Well, they seem to have more faith than me. Quit looking at them. That's a distraction. A distraction. It really is. And I fall for it all the time. Still. And B55 this year. Still have the same still have the same tendencies to lure it into lure it into ego. Ego. A church with hope. A church with hope. We have hope. I love the name of this church. I love the name of this church. Hope. Fellowship. Without hope. Without hope. 
substantive. And often it comes down, and often it comes down to our concept of who God is, hoping there's a better perspective. I'm here to tell you there is. Each one of you and myself, we have areas to still grow and learn and expand. Next week, we're going to keep going through the other eight <laughs> uh, unique theological changes and growth areas. But they're good. They're real. And for those that have been a part of Hope Fellowship for a long time, you'll recognize some of them. And yet, they're still good to be reminded of. If you're new to Hope Fellowship, you might be hearing this for the first time or, or go, yes, I've been learning that too. That's why it's connecting. It doesn't become true because somebody says it. It's true already and your Holy Spirit in you knows it and tells you this. That's why you're excited. Isn't that cool? I don't have to woo and wow and have smoke machines back here and all kinds of cool stuff. And you know, you know. <laughs> No. I have to trust the Holy Spirit at work in you. And for now, who we are as a church, this is all we have to offer right now for however long. And who knows as we shift and change and grow and who knows? I don't have a clue. It's not my church. Oh, it's not your church either. <laughs> Oh, you think you have a vote. <laughs> it's true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who need to feel your hope today. We may intellectually know there's hope, but our emotions, we're, we're emotional beings. And we need to be able to feel it too. Would you speak deep? into the hearts of those who need to feel you right now. Will you express your love, especially if that's what they need? Whatever the language of hope is that they need, meet them at their place of need. I pray this in Jesus' name.